Alright, we'll get started. Um, before we get started, we'll just have um, just a quick prayer and we'll get right into it, okay? Dear Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to congregate here together in person and be able to just think about you and remember you and remember what you have for us, for our lives, to teach us and to um, help us get to know you better and become more like you. Pray that you would speak through me today and that you'd give every person a message for their own life and something to take away and learn and kind of um, grow closer to you from. Amen. All right. So hopefully today won't be too long um, because no one else is speaking except me. Usually I speak in the middle, so that makes it longer, but I'll be doing all the talking today. So when I um, was thinking about what I should spend my time thinking, uh, speaking to you guys about today. I wasn't quite sure, and as I was kind of every day reading um, my Bible, I realized that there's a great message in front of me for myself that I thought I would share with everyone today. So I've been reading through the book of Hosea, and what we're going to be speaking about today is basically what the book of Hosea teaches us about God's faithfulness and what it teaches us about how to repent and what repentance is and how those two things kind of interlink together um, and yeah, what that means for us as Christians. So um, I guess the first question that we need to think about when we're talking about those two things, God's faithfulness and repentance, why are they important? What does that even matter to us as Christians? And I'm sure everyone can kind of sit and think about this for a while. I can do a whole talk on it. But very simply, it's we need to learn about God's faithfulness because it's a very central part of his character. And that is one of our purposes in life, to learn about God and to learn who he is and get to know him. And learning what repentance is and how to truly do it and do it right is not only a part of our Christian walk every day, but it's something we need to know and how to do right so we can, when we do tell someone about Christ who's not saved, that we're communicating and we know actually what we mean when we tell them to repent and turn around and, you know, turn to Jesus. Don't worry about that. All right. So I want everyone to pause and just take like 15 seconds and think about what they think faithfulness means, or God's faithfulness. Just sit, because it's one of those words, we throw it around a lot, we say it a lot, and there's a lot of meaning to it, but what do you, what is, what do you think it means? You don't have to say it, because I'll just say it later. So, there's, like I said, there's a lot to what God's faithfulness is. But the way Paul puts it in um, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is that it's, he attributes it as a characteristic of God. It's something that God is. He is faithful. So there's a verse that I'm going to keep coming back to a little bit, and it's in 1 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9. You don't have to pull it up. It's just one verse. He says, He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So unpacking that verse a little bit, Paul's saying three things, and it's kind of like sequential. It's one, that God's going to keep you firm, right? God's going to help you persevere. Um, he'll sustain you. He'll confirm you. He'll keep you throughout your journey with him. Two, the reason he's going to do that is so that you become saved, is so that you become, you are blameless. That's what it says. Um, and we know that, that God needs to do that or doesn't need to. He does that um, so that we can live in harmony with him in eternity. And why do we know that God's going to do that? It's because God is faithful. That's what Paul says. Um, that's the guarantee for God doing what he says he will do. So I guess when we say God's faithful, we can mean it in the sense that God's faithful to his character or he's faithful to his promises to us. And he's faithful to fulfilling what he says he'll do. And that's bring glory to his name. And the reason that is so important, the fact that God's going to bring glory to his name the way he says he will, um, is because if our purpose is to glorify God, um, then he's going to be committed to helping us persevere in doing that. Um, and we'll, I'll unpack further what that means as we kind of look into it. But yeah, this idea is not kind of one thing that you pulled out. I pulled out of um, one verse. It's kind of there throughout um, the scripture. So there's another part that's foundational, like it's in First Thessalonians. And it reads very similarly. It says, Now may God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he'll surely do it. Okay? So it says that God, will, he has called us and because he's faithful, he'll surely do that work, okay? And then on the other hand, we were talking about repentance. So in the same way, take a minute, think about what that word actually means to you. Supposedly, it's something that all of us as Christians are meant to have done and be doing. It's a part of, it's a really um, central part of our life. But what does it mean? There's um, a quote that I found when I was doing my research for today that I really liked. And in the same way, we'll come back to it and keep kind of going over it and what it means. And it reads this. Repentance is, a discover is the discovery of evil, a mourning that we have committed it, and the resolution to forsake it. It's in fact a change of mind that is very deep and very practical, which makes man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. It's a complete turnaround, okay? And one place in the Bible that we see someone be truly repentant and demonstrate what a repentant heart is like is David in Psalm 51. So this Psalm, he wrote right after he sinned with Bathsheba. And it's an expression of his mourning over those three things, the discovery of evil, the morning that he's committed it and the resolution to do something about it or change or be, you know, drawn to God instead. And we'll go through that as well in a little bit. But the language that he uses, he uses stuff like, he goes, I know my transgressions, it's ever before me. And he says, against you only, God, I've sinned. And then his response to it, his repentant response is for God to wash him and or purge him, and make me clean. So... 
that's a quick gist of what those two terms mean. Now let's look at the book of Hosea and what it actually has to say about this. So in terms of a little bit of context of what's happening in this book, it's basically we're in Israel and it's at a time where Hosea is the prophet. He's ministering to the people. He's telling them what God has to say for their lives. And the way these people are living at the time, they're living in a situation where Another kingdom called Assyria is growing, it's big, it's a threat. And the reason that's important is because it's a threat to who they are culturally, uh, a threat to them in the way they um, worship God. Because at any moment, someone that big could um, invade their city and exile them. And when they exile them, you lose, or they thought they lose what made them who they are okay they lost they would lose their right to their land the way they live the way they worship god and funnily enough um instead of turning to god against a threat like that the way israel always does things in the old testament is they forget god and they turn to assyria their threat for alliance you know to do that you need to be online (laughs) <laughs> sorry um yeah they just they turn to them in 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 false hope that you know you'll take care of us and that's that's who's protecting you um and in the process of doing that they forget god's track record for them and it's been nothing but remarkable up until up until this point so you can imagine if you were god in this point how that would make you feel and how you know, deep that sin is before God. Um, but on top of that, it's not just, we're not just dealing with like a little political type um, issue. That's even worse. It was a, a time where the people of Israel, they were going through a time where they were worshipping false gods. That was a thing that was starting to happen. Um, and that was really what was angering God, okay? So... They'd worship gods of fertility, whatever, of the Palestines, neighboring nations who are all false gods. But in that way, they basically stomp on what God has done for them. And they stomp on the relationship that they've had up until this time with God. Um, And basically, the book of Hosea and what it has to say is God's response to that. So they have been doing this. And this is what God wants to say back. So, um, I will get you guys to pull up your Bibles or your phones or whatever. And we'll do quite a bit of reading. And then we'll get into what it all means. So, can you guys pull up just Hosea 1, just the very first thing. And we'll read from verse 2. Just give you guys a sec. You guys can pull it up. Alright, so, from verse 2, I'll just start reading. I think this is in NIV. It reads, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, 
and convinced uh, and conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lorahumah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. Then she weaned, um, she had weaned Lo Lerahmah, and Goma had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called the children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and they will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And then I'm going to skip to Hosea 3, and I'll just read to you guys from verse 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to me, Go, show your wife again. Show love to your wife again. So this is after Goma had gone off and basically committed adultery. Um, he, God tells her there, go, show love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. So I brought her for, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You, are, you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I, will, and I will behave in the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or prince, without a sacrifice or sacred stone, without an ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord, and to his blessing in the last days. So, basically, um, let's look at a few things that come from. This is a part where God is expressing or demonstrating to Israel just what they have done um, in a way that they can understand. And there's a couple... Um, yeah, a couple meanings towards what this um, kind of demonstration is. So, firstly, Goma is an image of Israel. So, she's metaphorically and physically, um, you know, Israel metaphorically and physically prostituted itself, in a way, um, at the shrine of Baal. So, that's literally how they used to worship him. Um, at the temples, they would literally just be prostituted, and that's how they did it. But on a deeper sense... They actually left behind God, who was like Israel's group, and they gave themselves to any anyone who was willing type thing. Um, so Gomer's adultery um, is, yeah, it's pretty much telling Israel you have some sort of like chronic obsession and reliance and attraction to everything that's not me and everything that other gods like Baal have to give. The false gifts, 
even though I have been the one to give, show you grace and mercy and bring you to this point. Um, and it's really like not quite understood whether Goma was this way before uh, Hosea married her or she was like that after. But the central idea of her character being that way is that her eye was too easily swayed and she basically acted out in that way against her husband in the same way that Israel acted out against God. And then the union of, uh, the product of that union between Hosea and Goma was three children that God told Hosea to kind of have with Goma. So the three kids, the first one, his name was Jezreel. And like a lot of things in the Bible, names have meanings and they mean important things. So Jezreel actually means to be scattered. And basically God was saying that you're going to be scattered. It's, you're going to become exiled. And as a consequence of this union, which you have ruined um, or which you have defiled in that way. The second um, child, their name means no mercy. Okay, And in God's justice, God's saying that Israel doesn't deserve mercy. Um, and I know, I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the, in the, the text it said, I'll show Israel mercy and I'll show love to Judah. And you might pause and think, does that mean God's not just in that way? But this is not an issue of leniency. It's not an issue where either one of them deserves any sort of um, mercy. Both of them don't. And in God's justice, he's saying to them, I will show you no mercy because you don't deserve it. Um, and the last of the children means their name means you are not my people so even if this child was Hosea's son the deeper thing is that God is saying you've pushed yourself away from me and that way for that reason we are separated um and yet verse 9 of the first part we read it just sums up what God's position is it says at this point God says for you are not my people and I will not be your God and it's not in any way necessarily a threat that God is saying, because at this point when God says this, it was just a declaration of the reality. Like, this is what, this is the consequence of what you've done. It's not, I'm not saying I'll just abandon you. You've turned around, you've walked away from me. This is a declaration of like, what, this is where we're at because of what you've done. Um, and how the actions kind of drove a wedge in between their relationship. So... What do you guys think then would be the just thing for God to do at this point? Like what action, what next step would God take to be just? Is it to pretend it didn't happen? Is it to forgive them? Is it to go through with what he said? Between the chapters we read and pretty much the end of the book, there's around six, seven, eight chapters where God is just laying out his accusations towards Israel. He's just saying exactly what they've done and, and kind of what their sin is before him. Um, and no one was spared, okay? So it was the priests were included, 
the kings were included, the, the commoners, the prophets, everyone was included and mentioned. And their guilt was kind of laid out before them. This is what God has against you at the moment. Um, and basically, yeah, God, it said like God was, he's gonna, it says in the text, God was to love them no more or drive them out of his house. Um, and the funny thing is that Israel's very fear of exile um, from the Assyrians drove them to actually turn their back on their, their God, which actually led them to their very fear because their protection wasn't ever in Assyria or not. It was in God. And when they turned their back on him and they took matters into their own hands in this way, they actually reached their very worst fear. So yeah, at this point, um, God is blameless. He has been nothing but good to them. And Israel has been committing adultery against him. And we do the same thing exactly now. So this is not something that we can look at and say, what a bunch of idiots or like, how could they do this? This is exactly what we do. Um, our desires, our temptations, our ambitions and lusts and pride, all of that can lead us and does lead us exactly into the same position um, that they were in. And that's why it's important for us to learn from it and to see what God did and what we need to do to kind of examine ourselves. But yeah, in the same way that Israel turns his back on God, we always do and we turn our back on God and we kind of dive into the world. So. What do you guys think then God's response actually was? Um, even though his just or, you know, justified response would be to do exactly what he said and he does. But there is a last message, kind of a last pointer of hope that God gives his people. And that's what I want to focus on a little bit today. So I'll get you guys to pull up this one verse it's super small but I want you guys to keep it because we're going to refer to it a few times so this is in Hosea 14 and it's verse 1 to 2 so those two verses okay so this is what God says to his people basically through Hosea the writer says, return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Okay. So there's six things that I want to kind of bring out of this. Six lessons that I want us to learn about God and about what, we, what, what it means to repent. Okay. So the first thing I want you guys to notice that it, God remembers to be merciful in the midst of his wrath. Like he's rightfully um, angry at his people. He's rightfully hurt at his people. But out of his love, God remembers to be merciful. Okay? Um, when you read through the book, it almost reads like a court hearing where God is kind of accusing Israel of all these things that they've done. And, you know, being the perfect plaintiff and judge and jury, God is in the right. 
Um, but the good news for us in this thing is that God doesn't leap towards destroying his people. And that's grace. That's something that we should be thankful for because that's God's nature. Um, God doesn't need to plead um, with the Israelites to return, but he does that because he loves his people and he desires for them to be in relationship with him and for him to be glorified in that relationship. Um, and that's what it means when God says he will never leave us or forsake us. Okay? That's one aspect of what it means. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there's a call to return. It's not a call to... God's not asking us to just merely like alter our trajectory, like stop doing what you're doing and then just do something else. He's not saying um, just, you know, set your sights on me, look at me and remember who I am. It's, it's a higher calling today. It's a stop dead in your track, turn around and return. Um, it means you've been walking directly away from God and he wants us to return to him. And when you think about it, that is what repentance is. So we said before, what does repentance mean? And it literally means, we said, the discovery of evil, mourning that you've committed it, and then resolving to forsake it, or in other words, returning. Um, so yeah, God's call for um, repentance is not just a sentiment, but it's a call to action. He's asking us to do something. That's number two. Number three, so I want you guys to notice that God's um, call for us or for Israel to return is actually initiated by him. Um, and you'll find that throughout our lives in the way we were saved and throughout the Bible, um, when our hearts are dead or when we don't have a relationship with God and we don't have the Holy Spirit, our hearts don't have a predisposition to kind of stop and decide, no, I want to turn around and, you know, love God again. Our hearts are, that's what it means to be dead in sin. Um, it literally means that we become sons of disobedience and among uh, whom we also have conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh and that we become children of wrath. Like it is not in our nature to just naturally just stop and desire God, but because of God and his work in us, um, and because he initiates that first step, we are able to. Um, so yeah, just remember that God's reconciliation with you is from God. And that's something for us to accept. And that's one thing that it means for God to be faithful because he doesn't have to do that, but he does. The next thing, I want you guys to notice that it says for us to return to God because you've fallen, okay? The verse literally reads, return Israel to the Lord your God because your, for your sins have become your downfall. So a lot of the time when we've strayed from God and when we've sinned and we feel like we're broken, we feel like we can't come back to God, we can't stop, we can't repent because we're so filthy and disgusting and how could I? Um, but this, in this, God says, the reason I want you to return and stop and turn around and come back to me is because you've done this. Um, it's, not, it's not something we should fear that in our worst moment we feel like we can't come back to God. But that's exactly what he asks us to do. Um, and Jesus says the same thing. He says, 
he didn't come for the righteous, um, but sinners. That's exactly what Jesus came. He came to save sinners. Um, so, yeah, Jesus doesn't want us, want us to change our character, then come to him. He actually wants us to just come to him and knowing that we need him. Um, you know, not as awakened sinners, or like sensible sinners or good sinners, made better sinners. Just come as you are because you've fallen. That's the exact reason you should turn around and come. Um, okay, number five. Notice that God says, what does he say for you to do? He says, return to the Lord, all right? And he says, take your words with you. That's it. Like, what does that mean? He just says, take your words. Okay. So we just touched on it. It says that God doesn't say, come and bring a new character. Or come and bring yourself with a new heart. He just says, come, bring your words. Um, the literal translation, or like the, the better translation um, of this verse, it says, bring the calves to your lips. So at the time, the Israelites used to bring calves to kind of, atone for their sins God says I don't want your calves the sacrifice that I want is your repentance and your worship and um, your confession and we touched early on David in the psalm where he was feeling that demonstrating that repentance and he does the exact same thing so he writes this O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And the same thing Paul says as well in Romans. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that Lord, um, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And by no means does that mean you can sweet talk God into kind of forgiving you. The whole idea is that he, he allows you to be able to come back and be able to say to him, I'm sorry, and mean it. So this is an invitation from God to be changed, to come back and be changed internally and express that through our words, which means actually say like David says I'm sorry and say change me and say praises and worship God in our worst moments that's exactly what God wants a genuine repentance and yeah the last thing that I want us to kind of notice and this is more practical and just summing up what we've said is that this is a process that's active okay when we talk about repentance it's not just a passive thing that you become repented from God. God says, he says something to us. He does, he initiates, and he says, return. He kind of calls us to do something. So what does that mean? Or what does it kind of entail? First thing is introspection. We said like to pause and examine ourselves against what God says and against the word of God. Um, and there's kind of like a cliche Christian saying, says when you read the word, like it means you. That's kind of what it means. So like pausing and seeing what have I done and what have I been doing and how have I been living and is that 
how God wants me to be. And the second thing is intentions, having the intention to learn what God's um, purpose for us is and how our life up until that point aligns with that or it doesn't. And then the last thing is action, okay? After I've done that and I came back to God, what can I do? What practical steps am I able to do to actually express the inward change that I'm making, that God is making in me? Um, and yeah, that's what God asks for. So yeah, um, that's pretty much about all I had to say today. Um, just, yeah, that's all. Just remember that. God's faithful and when you need to, all of us need to, yeah, this is how to repent and this is what it means and this is what God asks for. All right. Shall we pray? Father, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for what you taught us and what you the lesson that you have given us. Um, thank you that while we were sinners, Lord, you, you initiated the first step to actually be in a relationship with us. It's not something we could have done ourselves, and it's definitely not something we deserve or have a right to. Lord, you had every right to leave us, and you had every right to kind of... Um, make us not your people but Lord in your love and in your mercy um, you gave us that chance and you continue to give us that chance every day Lord and Lord thank you for being faithful in that way to us and I pray that for those of us who don't know what it means to repent that Lord you would actually do a work in our heart that we would learn um, we would see we would have eyes to your eyes to examine ourselves and our lives and what it means to actually be changed by you and lord help us live that way um and with that understanding that you desire um to be glorified in us and you don't need to be glorified in us but you desire and it is our purpose so i thank you god and i pray that you would um yeah instill that word in everyone's heart